Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. As a woman in tech and as somebody with a non-traditional tech background, I'm really interested in being able to, A, encourage other people in that position, and B, help pave the way for the future. My name is Esprit Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create The Women in Tech Show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. I call it actionable empowerment. Every single episode, you'll hear the story of a fantastic woman in tech, from engineers to founders to investors to journalists to designers, all sorts of different females in tech who have thrived. I want to share their stories with you so that you can know what resources, mentors, and life situations they accessed in order to get to where they are today. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Women in Tech podcast here in Austin, Texas. I love this city. We are celebrating women in tech around the world. And I have Katie here with me. Hi, Katie. Hello. (laughs) So, Katie, go ahead and tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah. So I am Katie McNeil. I live here in Austin, Texas, and I am a software engineer at a startup called Sensei. It's super badass, super fun. And uh, I just get to hang out and code all day and meet cool people and build awesome stuff. What does Sensei do? So Sensei, we're half research and half tech. And essentially, um, we are building technology around the phrase, the eye is the window to the soul, because it turns out that's actually true. Um, so we have a team of uh, high-level researchers that are building all of the research around that. And then as a tech team, we are using cameras um, inside of things like VR headsets and on tripods and all kinds of different scenarios to build, um, just to build technology that we can read the brain with. What do you mean it's actually true? So if you look at like the biology of the eye, if you look at all the musculature happening in the iris, that all is hardwired to different parts of your brain. And so as you see these discrete things happening in the eye, you can actually understand where that's uh, associated with in the brain if you have a lot of research behind it. No. That's crazy. It's really wild. I've never heard that before. It's really wild. I mean, I've heard that, but I thought it was just a saying. Yeah. I didn't know there was a scientific connection. So one of the other ones that I like that's kind of along with that is you can say like, you know, I knew they were lying. I could just see it in their eye or like I just didn't get a good vibe from them when I talked to them. And like my personal very non-scientific theory behind that because I'm not a scientist is that uh, I think that we can subconsciously see that when we talk to people, when we communicate with them. We can pick up on those things without actually realizing it. Wow. And so we're basically building an interface to um, make that something you can interact with. That's incredible. I just saw a speaker on intuition, but she approached intuition from a scientific perspective, which I found fascinating. And she talks about that, how uh, a perfect example is 
you know, we have a problem and we can't solve it. We can't solve it. We can think about it. But then you go do something else, like you take a shower or whatever, and all of a sudden it comes to the solution. She's like, it's kind of like looking at one of those art things where you stare and it becomes like really blurry and then you don't see it anymore. Yeah. Because the solution is in the peripheral. It's yeah. not actually like in front of you. That's interesting. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know how I got on that. But <laughs> um, when did you first fall in love with technology? So I've always been really into technology. I grew up in the MySpace era. Yeah. Is that where you learned HTML? Yeah, yeah. Me too. Make it look good, right? How many many software engineers, programmers, like code hackers, whatever, do you think were created from MySpace? So many. Yeah. I remember I didn't want to make the move to Facebook because I couldn't customize things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I bought my myself my first laptop when I was, like, 13, maybe. And I just always was really into technology, but I never really pursued much with it. Yeah. So I, you know, I did a lot of random stuff. I was a dental assistant for yeah. a while. Uh, I worked for a nonprofit for about four years, and I lived overseas. Yeah. And when I was working for that nonprofit, I, like, took on all of the web-based stuff. So I built our website using Squarespace, but I did everything I could to customize yeah. it and um, just really fell in love with that process. And um, when I moved back to America and moved to Austin, I decided I wanted to, I didn't want to look back and regret not pursuing it more deeply. Yeah. So I uh, quit my job and just went for it. Where did you live? You said you lived uh, out of the country? Yeah. So I, the main place I lived was Guatemala. I was nice. there for about a year and a half. Do you half. speak Spanish? No. Aww. I speak more than when I moved there, but <laughs> I, uh, I certainly am not fluent. What was that like living in Guatemala as an engineer? Well, I wasn't well, you really like an engineer. Yeah. You were like web dev. I would use that term lightly. Even I think I was more like marketing based. Yeah. And I just put a focus on things like blogging and having a yeah. good web presence. Um, because when you're in a nonprofit, you require donations. Yeah. And people have to know what they're donating to. But it was really, it was really interesting because I lived in an American household. We had everything that you could imagine, it was just in Guatemala instead of America. Uh, so you could walk outside and see volcanoes erupting in our backyard and yeah. just crazy stuff. So it was really beautiful. And we could take weekend trips to like just some of the most beautiful places in the world. Nice. Yeah. When uh, when did you start going on the pathway of becoming a software engineer? Um, I started about a year, a little over a year ago. What? That's it? Yeah. You're like, no. <laughs> Like, did you go to a, pro- a programming boot camp or something? Yeah, I did yeah. a boot camp. Which one? Um, I did dev boot camp, rest in peace. <laughs> We're no longer around. Um, but we did web development stuff there. So Ruby, a little bit of JavaScript, SQL, backend stuff. Um, and I, the whole time, just knew, like, this is useless to me if yeah. I can't get a job as soon as I get done with this. Because yeah. I'm a single gal. Yeah. I support myself. I yeah. took on debt to do this program yeah. to make this change. And so... I was simultaneously focused on learning and on job applications and networking events and career fairs. And so um, I ended up getting a job about a month after I graduated. It was an inter- a paid internship to start. I applied for it while I was at a hostel in Barcelona with people nice. playing drinking games around me which is kind of nice. a funny story for me to look back on when I applied for this position. <laughs> and I just got really lucky to get in with a fantastic company right off the bat. And you said that you went into debt just to take the programming training. Why would you make a risk like that, jump into a world where you have to go into a debt? De- like, were you that confident or? 
Yeah, yeah. I think for me, so I lived in Austin about a year at that point. And, um, after Guatemala? After Guatemala, yeah. And I worked a job that I hated. I was doing okay, but I just didn't enjoy it. And yeah. I, I just, at that point in my life, I knew I didn't want to look back and regret having not given it a shot. Yeah. And uh, there was not – the older I got, the more difficult it would be to do something like that. And so um, I have a lot of friends that are in the development world and I talked to a lot of them and was like, is this for real? Can you actually learn enough to get a job in three or four months? Yeah. And they all said like – You'll learn enough to get a job. You'll still have a lot of learning to do after, which is completely accurate. Yeah. Um, But I just – my biggest thing is I didn't want to look back and regret having not given it a shot. Um, And I just was really fascinated by the tech world in Austin specifically. Yeah. Uh, We have Capital Factory here, which the company I work for was a part of their accelerator. So I got to work at a Capital Factory for several months. Tell us a little um, bit about Capital Factory. So Capital Factory is a combination of a startup accelerator, co-working space, um, investor. They actually are the – they write the most checks out of any investor in Texas. Um, They write a lot of small checks to invest in companies and they have a lot of really fantastic connections um, all around the country and the world. And um, so we were a part of their accelerator for six months, or I guess we were in there for a year. And they're really a hands-off. They just give you resources. You don't have classes you have to take or anything. They just give you resources, and you get to do with that what you want. And for us, that meant that when we were done with the accelerator, we had um, a full staff. We had products. We had income. And we were able to move into our own office space a block away in downtown what? Austin. You had, and- you, for, you had product and income? Uh, yeah, so our company is also really unique. Um, that our, is unique. Well, it you're gets, not. <laughs> didn't you get the memo? You're not supposed to make any money. <laughs> well, it gets even more unique. Uh, you're really our messing CEO things up over started here. Started our company out of his high school science fair project. What? And uh, he just turned 21 a couple months ago. No. So our company's been around for. A few years, but when when he moved out to Texas a year ago, it was to join Capital Factory and get really serious. But uh, yeah, he started the company at 16 years old, tested out of high school so he could run the company. How many employees does it? We now are at about 15. What? Yeah. So he had some employees back when he was in California when he started the company and they focused a lot on research. And when he moved out here, it was more taking all of the exploratory research that they had done and doing something productive with it. And so, you know, he brought on an engineering team. I'm actually the first engineer that has actually stuck around uh, since he moved out here. So it's been fun to watch the team grow. And just this month, we're doubling our engineering team. Wow. So what an amazing thing to be a part of. Yeah, it's really wonderful. What do you have to say about that whole discrepancy between like being an experienced person versus being young? Like I've never subscribed to that. What do you think about pros, cons, value? Like, yeah, most people don't take 16 year olds seriously. Yeah. I think a lot of it. And this 16 year old became a 21 year old with a company of 15. Yeah. I think a lot of it is your motivations. What are you actually trying to accomplish? So like if your motivations are just to get rich and famous, people aren't going to take you seriously. But if your motivations are, I have this idea that I really believe in and I want to do something with it. I think that's when things happen. So in the case of my boss, his high school science fair project got disqualified because they said it was either 
science fiction or he stole it. And there is a Navy general in the audience at this science fair that said, hey, we're going to take a look at your research. And they ended up giving him a grant because they believed in him and because they believed in this idea, not because they thought like, oh, man, this kid just wants to get rich or something like that. So I think that's a big thing is what your motivations are. Wait, this school thought he stole the idea? It was actually the state science fair in California. And the state thought he stole the idea? They were like, this this can't be real. Or this is either too advanced for a high schooler or or it's not real. They discredited him because so they of disqualified age, ageism. Him, I guess, yeah. So, But it worked out because instead of winning or placing in a science fair, he got to start a company. So yeah. I think it worked and out. And got his first investment straight away. Yeah, yeah. So he got a grant for research right off the bat. And so I think that's a big thing, you know, and you see that with how he interacts with us as his employees. Um, he takes really, really good care of us. And he doesn't, like, obviously he wants our company to be successful, but he also wants us as humans to be successful. He wants us to enjoy what we're doing. And this is the first job I've ever had where I enjoy going into work every day. Wow. So, yeah. And and how do you think that he acquired those skills? He has a lot of really great people around him. Uh, we have some advisors in the company that have more of the um, career experience. But I also think he's just a gen- genuinely good guy. And so when you have a good person running a company, they're going to bring that into it. There's that whole saying that, like, nice guys finish last or nice girls finish last. Well, there's not a saying that <laughs> nice girls finish last. But I feel like that sometimes it's a struggle as an entrepreneur to be compassionate, kind, yeah. giving, nice, it's, like, harder for us. But you think it's a huge advantage. I think if you're trying to build something successful, if you're trying to build something with longevity, I think that it's a huge advantage because um, you screw over enough people, nobody's going to want to work with you. You screw over enough employees, you're going to yeah. get a bad reputation. But um, you take care of people. You, you know, build good relationships with investors, with other companies, with the clients you're working with. That that says a lot. And people people talk about that, you know, especially there's like an unknowable number of startups out there trying to make it. And you have to make an impact and you want to make a good impact. It's incredible. What's your dream? Like, where do you want to go from here? Um, I really enjoy being a part of building something. And so the idea of getting to be at this company from like the beginning is really exciting for me. Um, I just want to be able to be with this company as long as I can. And then for me, as a woman in tech and as somebody with a non-traditional tech background, I'm really interested in being able to, um, A, encourage other people in that position and B, um, help pave the way for the future. Have you ever felt just like you didn't know enough as a programmer? Have you ever taken pause and questioned your confidence? Every day. Every and then how do you get day. past that? So there's a couple of different things. One of them is that in my boot camp, we actually talked a lot about imposter syndrome. So from the very get-go, I was aware that that's a very common thing. Um, another really helpful thing for me is talking to other people. Um, I have friends that are also in the tech world that I can be like, hey, I'm feeling really dumb today. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, me too. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> so there's some camaraderie there. And then oftentimes I think back, like, what did I know? What do I know now that a month ago, two months ago, six months ago, I couldn't have imagined knowing. Um, and so seeing oh, how far wow. I've come has been really helpful. Um, I 
primarily program in Python, and I didn't start doing that until January, so about six months ago. And so being able to code entirely in this language that I had never touched before is a huge thing for me to look back on. In. And what did you study at the boot camp? Uh, we studied Ruby and, uh, and JavaScript. And why did you choose to go to Python? Uh, for a company, it just makes sense for us to yeah. use Python. Yeah. I uh, I wasn't looking for a language-specific job. I was looking for um, – I, I don't know that Ruby is the most useful language these days. Uh, there's certainly companies that are still using it. But um, I I think for me, I learned enough of like the basics of, of concepts yeah. to be able to switch over to whatever language – with to an extent, you know, we did some C plus plus, and that's a very different story. But <laughs> for Python, um, I I found the transition pretty easy, and I actually love working in Python. So, what would you suggest to someone kind of in your shoes who wants to all of a sudden get involved in the tech industry and is very intimidated by joining a boot camp that they want to? Like, how do they prepare for that? Um, how do they research a good one too? Yeah, so that's the key. Um, I would say. You know, you can you can look at all the marketing materials you want and read all of these success stories that you want, um, but those are pretty meaningless because it's marketing. They want to give you the best picture of something. So find people that have done the program that you want to do um, or who have gone down the path that you want to go and talk to them. You know, like talk to somebody that went through this boot camp that you're considering and ask them very candid questions. Ask them what their career path has looked like since, what their cohort mates' uh, career paths have looked like. Have they actually been able to be successful? You know, um, for me, one of the big draws that I had to Dev Boot Camp was um, that they focus a lot on minorities. So there's uh, a, a automatic scholarship for women, people of color, LGBTQ people. And what that ended up meaning was our cohort of 14 was uh, 10 women. And so wow. that completely changed my experience in the boot camp. Uh, I'm still a year later, really good friends with almost everybody who stuck around in Austin. And so we were, I think that was the biggest impact that that any of us had in the boot camp was each other, not necessarily the material we were learning or anything. Right. It was that we were all supporting each other. And if if I had a question, I could go ask somebody and they would, you know, they would help me out and vice yeah. versa. So I think the culture of the boot camp is important and um, really just looking at are people coming out of this actually successful? Yeah. So. No, yeah. I And it's interesting sometimes my – um, my programmer friends will say there's a reputable boot camp or a boot camp with a really high like popularity, but yet when their code is tested in a real situation, it's it's not that yeah. great. So definitely asking as many people as possible is, yeah. is key. Yeah. Um, what's an obstacle that you've overcome successfully in, and what did you learn from it? Hmm. Um, I hold this a little closer. Yeah. That's a good question. I think for me, I mean, the imposter syndrome thing has been one of the biggest in just having enough confidence in myself and my ability to um, be successful every yeah. day. Yeah. And finding the things, you know, as a new developer, um, there are things that I certainly am not great at yet. Yeah. Um, but finding the things that I am really good at now and being able to spend time on those things as well. Totally. Yeah. And a book that you've read that you really love? Uh, does it have to be tech related at all? No. Mm. 
Um, one of my favorite books I've read recently is I'm Still Here by Austin Channing Brown. And it's about her experiences as a woman of color occupying primarily white spaces. And I just saw her speak like two weeks ago. And it's fantastic. It's funny. It's uh, really hard to read at times, but it's a really fantastic book. Oh, that's a good one. Say the title again. I'm Still Here by Austin Channing Brown. And how about an app or software that uh, you think is awesome? Oh, man. Um, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind, as dumb as this is, uh, my boot camp mates and I spent a lot of time playing 2048. I don't know. What's 2048? It's just a stupid game that's completely mindless of trying to get these number blocks to combine I've never even heard of it before. It's really dumb, but if you just want a mental break and just to like... 2048? Yeah. yeah. And it's an app? Yeah. You can find it on, you know, an app or there's websites. Yeah. Yeah. Another one. Okay. So we have a VR headset in our office because we do VR work and um, we play Beat Saber a lot, which is kind of like Guitar Hero mixed with um, DDR. So you have songs playing and you're like smashing bricks to the beat of the song. Yeah. That's a really fun one, too. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast. Is there anything that you wanted to say that you feel like you haven't shared yet? No, I think I think we said a lot. Where can people find you online? Uh, so pretty much any social media. I'm the Katie McNeil. Um, can you spell it? Yeah. So the, the word the, T-H-E, Katie McNeil, K-A-T-I-E-M-C-N-E-I-L. Thank you for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast. Thanks for having me. If you want to connect with more incredible women in tech, remember to go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. It takes you straight there, womenintechvip.com. And make sure to say hello on social at Women in Tech Show on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. I will talk to you guys, see you guys, hear you guys in the next episode. Bye. Bye. I'm Katie McNeil. I'm a software engineer at Sensei, located in Austin, Texas. We are a research and tech company that's learning to read your brain through your eye. And you are listening to the Women in Tech podcast. Impact Hub here in Austin, Texas has been our home. We want to give a huge thanks to making it possible for us to comfortably meet and interview several inspiring women in tech. They have the most collaborative workspace, incredible events, beautiful design, a hammock in their backyard. What? It's an incredible space. You have to check it out if you're in Austin. Thank you so much for being a part of the Women in Tech journey. Be sure to go to impacthubaustin.com to get your free day of co-working. I want to give a huge thanks to the team at SpyCloud. SpyCloud protects your employee and customer information from breaches and account takeovers. Try SpyCloud's early warning breach detection platform. SpyCloud made it possible for us to meet with several women in tech here in Austin, Texas, and I am so thankful that they have been part of the Women in Tech podcast journey. Get protected today by going to spycloud.com. That's S-P-Y-C-L-O-U-D.com. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.